James chapter 2, let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the haven of rest is the Lord. And many people in this place have already anchored their soul in that haven of rest. We pray that anyone here, within the sound of our voice, who has not already made those arrangements for heaven, would turn to Christ now. This will be the beginning of days in their spiritual life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In James chapter 2, keep in mind that James probably was the half-brother of the Lord. And he writes much like the pithy sayings of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And James is writing to show the influence that Christians have on other Christians and the unsaved world. On the other hand, Paul writes through the eyes of Christ and through the eyes of heaven. Paul says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And James asked the question, can faith alone save us? These two are not in conflict and we will see that in this chapter. Beginning in verse one, my brethren, and we're talking here first about the law of love. In this chapter, there's the law of love, the law of liberty, and the law of light. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons, or of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and fine apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the fine clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges with evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you're called? If you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. Now in that section, he's just simply saying, let the royal law of love live in your heart. Do unto others as you would that they would do to you. We do not know how long we'll have good clothes to wear and a nice car to drive and a nice house to live in. It could be that in the days ahead, some of us will be pauper stricken. How would you like for somebody to treat you as a second or third or fourth class citizen just because of the clothes you wear or because of the house you live in or because of the old Model A or Model T that you drive? Uh, you know, God wants us to treat each other with the royal law of love. And I believe that happens here at this church. Uh, I've never seen anybody uh, be ugly to someone else because of their economic background or their ethnic background. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. And I'm so glad that Glendale Baptist Church is on record not on some minutes of a book, but is on record by behavior 
and by spiritual Christian living that we do not blockade anybody from the house of God. I remember reading in the years gone by when the freedom writers were writing, were, were writing and uh, they'd come to a, a church that was all white and there'd be some deacons standing at the door saying, you, you can't come in here to black people. What a shame. My house should be called a house of prayer of all people, for all people. And I've never sensed that here at this church. We've had black people, thank God. We've had red people and yellow people and white people, and they're all precious in the sight of God. We've had some who were wealthy, not very many. We've had some that were poor, probably a whole lot. I've had some people say, well, I don't come to Glendale because you all are a rich church. If they only knew. <laughs> we probably have more poor people in our church than any church in town. But I've never seen any bias about them. And so the scripture says, fulfill the royal law of love. But if any of us have a danger in that area, or if we sense that there is something in our heart that sort of rankers at that, let's be instructed by the scripture concerning. Now the second thing is the law of liberty. For whosoever, verse 10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Now those few short verses remind us that when we're saved by grace through faith, we have right standing with God. And God does not classify sin like we do. We need to remember that. When we think of the current problems that are facing America, we need to remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. There's not one thing that anybody else can do that we couldn't do if we get our eyes off Jesus. And this scripture says if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. If we never commit adultery, we never steal, we never kill anybody, but we allow something to become more important to us than God, We've broken the whole law. Sometimes people let their families or their children or their wife or husband or their boyfriend or girlfriend. That, that comes between their heart and God. Perhaps we're speaking tonight to some who one time were really ablaze for the Lord, loved the Lord with all their heart and revealed it and showed it. And gradually little by little by little by little that first affection went away. We're guilty of what the church at Ephesus was guilty of. We've lost our first love. We've left our first love. Praise God that many times this returns. We come back to the Lord and we restore, we're restored in the Lord. All of us know the story of Mickey Berkeley. Said he was saved when he was six. He served the Lord for a while and then in teenage years went away from God and stayed away a long, long time. And then God's strings of love began to draw him back and he came back 
and he's going great for God. He's an example and blessing to all of us. And wasn't that message he preached last Sunday night a tremendous message? You see, nobody really feels good about being away from God. And sometimes we classify ourselves and we say, well, I'm not like this guy over here or this person over here. I haven't done this or this or this. The act of consecration is canceled by one reserve. Let me repeat that. The act of consecration is canceled by one reserve. If we reserve any phase of our life, whether it's our game room, our playroom, our bedroom, our food room, our time room, our leisure room, whatever it is, if we reserve that for ourselves and fail to give it totally to God, that's a sin. And sin is transgression of the law because Christ wants to be first. He must be first in our life. You know why vulgar barnyard language creeps into our, our mouths and minds and hearts? Jesus said, the thing that you take in doesn't defile you, but that which comes out. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And when people begin to use swear words or barnyard words or, or D words or F words and things like that, why does that happen? They've gotten their eyes off of Jesus. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It could mean that. But it primarily means they've never gotten their eyes, they're not keeping their eyes on Jesus. And so their life is filled with sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so we need to confess that sin and turn, return it to the Lord and give God the glory. Now look at beginning in verse uh, four, 14. Here we have the, the law of good works. The law of good works. Don't be afraid of this, Baptist. Sometimes we're a little bit afraid of holy living. And we say, well, I'll tell you, I don't want to be a holy roller. Well, don't worry about being a holy roller. Baptists were speaking about holiness 1,800 years before they ever heard of a holy roller. Holiness belongs to God. And notice what, what James is saying here. He's measuring us by the outside world. He's saying, here's how people look at us. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give him nothing, you do not give him those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, beloved, that's what the Word of God teaches. Martin Luther read the book of James. Now remember that he was a Roman Catholic priest and uh, they didn't always read all of the Bible. And it was in reading the scripture that he came to know he, his need of Christ and he gave his heart to Jesus. But when he was reading the book of James, he didn't understand it. He thought it was a straw epistle and he threw it out the window. He just didn't understand it. James is writing concerning our influence on other people. Paul is writing concerning how we have right standing with God. James is saying, here's how we have right standing with people. We will not exemplify the spirit of Jesus if we don't live Jesus like Jesus did. And so he says, can faith alone save us? He says, uh, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. 
And then he goes on to say, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. That's a key verse. We're demonstrating to other people. And sometimes people say, Well, I don't care what other people think and what they, how they live, whatever they do. It just, uh, it's none of their business how I live. You've forgotten that when you gave your heart to Jesus, you got in a glass house. You gave away all your rights. And you're his. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so when we give our heart to Christ, it matters if we use all those trash words. It matters if we get all involved in the things of this world. He said in 2 Timothy chapter, th chapter 2, be... Uh, he, he says something about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Thou therefore uh, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so when we come to Christ, we're his. It's a great honor to serve Christ. It's a joy to be a Christian. And we need to live that Christian life. And so he's saying, show me your faith, and I'll show you. Do my works. Now, if you're really going to show me your faith, you'll have to show me your works that prove your faith. This was said in a different way by Paul in Philippians chapter 2 when he said he said uh, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear and then he said uh, do all things without murmuring and complaining and the whole thrust was live the Christian life watch the words of your mouth in Psalm 1914 let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O Lord my strength and my redeemer this also has to do with what we do with our time. How many of us, and you don't, certainly don't need to raise your hand, but how many of us really believe in our heart that, that we give our leisure time to the Lord? I know we give our church time. Most of you are here every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every Sunday morning. You're involved in a lot of things for the Lord. But how about other times? Do we take that time and say, I'm going to use that for myself? We need to have some family time. We need to be with our families. We need to do activities that will honor Christ with our families. But a lot of times we take time that we could be using for holiness and holy living, and we just waste it. You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, I have works. <coughs> show me thy faith without thy works, I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The demons, or the devil, also believes and trembles. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Just because a person has made a trip to the altar and wept, 
and gone on record. I've become a Christian and I've been baptized and I'm going to serve the Lord. <clears throat> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You can make the most beautiful pie or cake and make it look really beautiful on the outside and serve it and nobody can eat it because it's sour. You made it out of sour milk or you made it out of something that you let it sit there too long or something. All right, our lives get like that. Our lives get bitter and sour and uh, nobody really wants to be around us. They don't enjoy because we're so negative and we're so uh, uh, filled with self. You ever met somebody that you couldn't tell anything to anybody, to them at all? You know, you say, you know, I want to tell you about a trip I took to Niagara Falls. Oh, I've been there 10 times. You can't tell me anything about that. Well, I would like to tell you about the day that our anchored Christian school students were in Washington, and one of our students shook hands with Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Carter, the president's wife. Oh, that's all right. I've met the president in person. And you know you can't tell them anything. You ever met somebody like that? You enjoy being around them, don't you? You just love it. You want to seek their company some more. All right, God says that's not the way we're to be. We're to show our faith by our works. And then he goes on to say, in the last part of this chapter, he gives the illustration of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? What does he mean by that? Was Abraham justified by works? Is this a contradiction of Romans chapter 4, where Paul used the same illustration to say that Abraham was saved by faith? He believed God, and God counted that belief as righteousness. What he's saying is, God said, Abraham, you offer Isaac. And Abraham's faith reached out and said, I don't understand it. But God said to do it. He took Isaac up to Mount Moriah. Isaac said, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And prophetically, Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And he was about to bring the knife down on his son Isaac when God said, don't touch that boy. And there was a ram over in the bushes, a substitute. The point was Abraham revealed his faith by his obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Part of our obedience is tithing or income. On the first day of the week, let every one of you bring lay by him in store as God hath prospered. There'll be no gatherings when I come. Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Another way to obey the Lord is to go soul winning. The scripture says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. He that winneth souls is wise. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I think of Chris White. He only comes on Sunday night because that's when his parents come, which I'm praying he'll get more involved. But ever since I've known Chris, he's brought people to church. When he was a little boy, he tried to do that. And uh, as a young teenager, and now he's doing it again as an older teenager. And for the last several Sunday nights, he's brought friends to church. Two Sunday nights ago, he had a young boy named Eric with him. And after the service, he came to me and said, 
would you show Eric how to be saved? We went into the office and Eric had a glorious conversion experience. We went this week to see Eric this past week. And uh, we went to see Chris and Chris was over at Quentin's house. Well, I didn't know where Quentin lived, so we went to Eric's house and Eric knew where Quentin lived and we went over to Quentin's house. And while we were witnessing to Quentin, I asked Chris to lead us in prayer and he prayed a burdened prayer that Quentin would be saved. And some of our guys were showing him how to be saved and in just a moment, that young boy gave his heart to Christ. Yeah, he has a earring, had things all over his chest. I'm praying those will disappear, those will go away. But Jesus receives us as we are, right or wrong. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. Well, thank God. He that winneth souls is wise. And this last part is talking about how you have right standing with God. You have it by faith. And if it's real faith, it's going to produce works. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. If we do not produce works, it is very possible that we're not saved. Works don't save us. They demonstrate that we are saved. And if we have no works to demonstrate that, we're going to be pretty poverty-stricken in life. Now, I know people can go through a period of time, they've been saved and they get away from God and they have no works at all, but God will deal with that heart and draw him and draw him. We can ignore it. We can say, I don't want to pay attention to my heart. Some all come to us, I don't want to pay attention to that. I'm just going to be stubborn and go on in my way. And if that continues over a period of time, God will begin to blow the winds of affliction and discipline and chastisement. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye what? Bastards and not sons. And if you won't listen to that, God could have an early funeral. And we're not to judge others about that. We're not to say, well, I think the reason that guy died is because he had sin in his life. No, we're to judge ourselves. We're to look into the perfect law of liberty and see what God is trying to say to us. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Strive manfully onward. Jesus will help you. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful Word of God that has never lost its power, effective, powerful. And we pray that every one of us will walk in the light of the Word of God. If there's one person here tonight who is not saved or who has wandered away into the faraway country, may thy Spirit draw him back by the bands of love. Have thine own way, Father. Thy way is so good and best. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What are we singing? 331, why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you tarry so long? Savior is waiting to give you a home in his wonderful throne. <laughs> if you're here today and you've never been saved, why not come to Jesus tonight? Just take a stand for him. 
You may say, well, I'm going to wait till I get through sowing some wild oats or I'm going to wait till later. Why do you wait, dear brother? Why not now? Why not tonight? And if God has spoken to you about any matter in your life, then you need to come to the altar and pray. Do what God tells you to do. While we begin to sing, we'll step out for Christ.